Chapter Seven of The Sword of Deborah by F. Tennyson Jesse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter Seven: The Brown Graves. When first one has dealings with the wax and their officers, one imagines distractedly that one has fallen among royalty. This is because the word "ma'am" is always used by a wax when speaking to another of superior rank, till you very nearly find yourself bobbing. Later this impression is strengthened by the memory for faces which every whack officer displays in a manner one has always been taught to consider truly royal. It is only among themselves that any titles exist. To the outside world, even the army officers, each whack officer is mere Mrs. or Miss, whichever she may chance to be. The putting on of frills has been avoided with extraordinary dexterity. There is just enough ritual to make the girls feel they belong to an organized body, without the enemy being given occasion to blaspheme by saying that women like playing at being men. In France, though not in England, the girls salute their officers, as this helps them to get at the idea of the thing, that feeling of being part of an ordered whole, which is so valuable. In the matter of uniforms, someone at the war office, or wherever these things are thought out, has really had a rather charming series of inspirations. At first the women wore the same badges as denote the ranks of soldiers, but a paternal, or should one not almost say maternal, government evidently thought that not feminine enough, and now the badges of varying rank are roses, fleur-de-lis, and laurel-leaves, a touch which would have delighted old Andrew Marvel. One of the chief activities of the wax is cooking, and when, escorted by the DDMS, whom I have before mentioned, I arrived at the little wooden office amidst the pines, it was to hear a one-sided conversation on the telephone between the area controller and various great ones of the earth who were frantically ringing up for cooks. Also, a new officers' club for senior officers wanting a rest from the firing line is just being opened near E, and it is to be staffed by wax, and the cook is to be of the very best. Punch's immortal advice as to the treatment of husbands is not forgotten by the wax controllers when questions of this kind arise. After talk of cooks came the seeing of cooks, in a big camp and small arms school near. Kitchens are kitchens and mess-rooms mess-rooms everywhere you go, and beyond a general impression of extreme cleanliness, an extraordinarily appealing smell of stew, and the sight of great branches of mimosa set about the long mess-tables, there is nothing of particular interest to describe. The point is that all the preparing and the serving of food in this great camp for officers and men is done by women, and that all the male creatures are unreservedly jubilant at the change. The C.O. expressed his hope that after the war the W.A.A.C. would continue as a permanent part of the army, while a sergeant gave it as his opinion that the women managed to introduce so much more variety into the preparation of food than the men had done. Also, he added that they wasted much less. In every kitchen there is a forewoman cook. There are these forewomen in every department of the work of the women, and they correspond rather to the non-coms among the men. At present they are distinguished by a bronze laurel leaf, and always have their own mess-room and sitting-room as distinct from the rest of the girls, but it is rather an influence than an authority which is vested in them, though the advisability of definitely endowing them with more of the latter is being considered. They answer, as the rest of the whack machinery does, extremely well. An interesting point about the army kitchens, as they are run nowadays, is that after the amount of fats necessary to the cooking has been put aside, the rest is poured into great tins, graded according to its quality, and sent home for munitions. 
we are getting things down to the fine edge of no waste at last and the women are helping to do it at another camp i found the c o most anxious for the women to start a mending factory it would be such a help to the men who unlike sailors are not adept at repairing their own clothes also a laundry he intimated would be necessary really to round off the scheme satisfactorily both these are thoroughly sound suggestions that may yet let us hope come to something though they would be in a sense breaking new ground as the idea of the wax is that they actually replace men each cook releases one man while among the clerks at present the ratio is four women to three men and there are already six thousand wax in france does not this give the obvious reason why slanders started by the enemy agents have been busy trying to drive the women's army out of france every whack who goes to france is like the pawn who attains the top of the chessboard and is exchanged for a more valuable piece she sends a fighting man to his job by taking on the jobs that are really a woman's after all for is it not a woman's earliest job to look after man she looks after him to keep him well and strong she looks after him when he is ill and now in france she looks after the gallant dead who are lying in the soil for which they fought between the pines and the gleaming river with its sandy shoals are the rows of crosses sparkling the ash-gray wood of them in the effulgence of the spring light making hundreds of points of brightness above the earth still brown and bare that soon under the gardener's care will blossom like the rose not a desert even now for no place where fighters rest is a desert but a place of expectant full of the promise of beauty to come an outward beauty which is what it calls for as its right because it is holy ground not only in the merely technical sense as the consecrated earth of quiet english cemeteries where lie all both those who lived well and those who live basely but holy as a place can only be when it is held by those who all died perfectly here and there among the earth-brown graves stooping above them are the earth-brown figures of the gardeners every grave is freshly raked molded between wooden frames to a flat high surface where the flowers are to overflow and above every raised dais of earth the bleached wood of the cross spreads its arm throwing a shadow soft and blue like a dove's feather a shadow that curves over the mould and laps down its edge lightly as a benison on each cross is the little white metal plate giving the name and regiment of the man who lies beneath and the letters r i p here and then is an ugly stiff wreath of artificial immortalis beneath a glass frame the pathetic offering of those who came from england to lay it there sometimes a wreath fresh and green shows that someone who loves the dead man has sent money with a request that flowers shall be bought and put upon his grave on the anniversary of his death sometimes when they come over from england these poor people break down and turn blindly as people will for comfort to the nearest sympathy to the women gardeners who are showing them the grave they came to see and a sudden note of that deep undercurrent which at times of stress always turns the members of either sex to their own sex for comfort sends the women mourners to the arms of the women who are working beside them sentiment if you will but a sentiment that is stirred up from the deep and which would scorn the apologies of the critical and what of the girls who work daily on that sacred earth who see before their eyes bright in the sun inexpressibly gray and dauntless in the rain those serried rows of crosses all so alike and each standing for a different individuality a different heartbreak do you suppose that they will ever again forget the aspect of those silent witnesses to the splendor and unselfishness 
and the utter release from pettiness of the men who lie there. This is what it is to make good citizens, and that is what the members of the women's army are doing daily. They are not only doing great things for the men, but they are making of themselves, come what conditions may after the war, efficient, big-minded citizens who will be able to meet with them. Chapter 8. Vignettes The interesting thing about the various places where wax are housed, which I saw, is that no two of them are alike in atmosphere. I had rather dreaded much seeing of camps, but, as a matter of fact, though I saw two, they were totally unlike each other, while the other three places that I saw each had an aspect, a characteristic, unlike the others. One was a convalescent home for wax, set amidst pine trees, a house of deep wide stairs, airy rooms, long cushioned chairs, and flowers, where one might well be content to be just not well for a long time. The others were houses where those wax lived who were not in camps. Four jaunty chalets, chalk-white in the sun, hung with painted galleries, faced the rolling sand-dunes, behind them the sea, a darker blue than any of the shadows of land on such a high-keyed day. They are the pleasure villas, these chalets, fancy erections for summer visitors, built in the days when this little plage was a resort for Parisians playing at rusticity. Delicious, artificial, useless-looking creations, bearing apparently about as much relation to a normal house as a boudoir cap does to a bowler. Yet they are charming, as only little French pleasure villas can be, and to the receptive mind it is their artificiality that makes such a delightful note of, well, not decadence, but dilettantism, in this rolling sandy place, where only the hand of nature is to be seen all around, no town, no village even, impinging on the curving skylines, the very road up to their doors but a track in the sand. In these villas live incongruous wax, their khaki-clad forms swing up the wooden stairs to the galleries, and lean from the windows, always open their widest, night and day. Less incongruous, the stout boots, and khaki inside, as, though the chintzes are bright and gay, there is an aspect of stern utility, combined with an austerity that somehow suits the blank sandiness of the surroundings. In each little scrubbed room are two beds, each, for the wax live in true army fashion, with its dark grey blankets folded up at the head of the bare mattress. In the sick bay alone the beds are covered with bright blue counterpanes. In the recreation room and the four women's mess are easy chairs of wicker and flowers and pictures. It is all done as charmingly as it can be with a strict eye to suitability. It is community life, of course, but brought as nearly as possible to that feeling of individuality which makes a home with a small h instead of the dreaded capital. This other house was as great a contrast to the bare little chalets as it well could be. It also was at Plage. It, too, had been built for pleasure, but for the pleasure de luxe, not of simple bourgeois families. The wide hall with its polished floor, its great carved mantels, its dining-room with gleaming woods and glossy table and sparkling glass, its big lounge with tall windows, where the girls dance and play the piano, all was as different from the bleached, scrubbed wood of the chalets as it well could be. Yet the spirit informing the whole was the same, the bedrooms as austere in essence, even if they boasted carved marble-topped chests, and even here the army had found things to improve, such as the making of paths at the back of the house of round tins sunk in the earth, and steps of tin biscuit boxes, 
ingeniously arranged to save getting your feet wet on a muddy day as you go in and out on the endless errands of domesticity and as i sat at lunch in the gleaming dining-room where the wood-fire burned on the wide stone hearth i heard the girls practising for a musical play they were shortly to produce a camp is of course a camp but there is a certain satisfaction in seeing how well even a necessary evil can be done where all was excellent the chief thing that really thrilled me was the bathrooms the wax bathrooms are the envy and despair of the army who rage vainly in small canvas tubs the engineers are by way of spoiling the wax whenever possible and bathrooms electric bells electric light and fancy paths of tin spring up before them there are in every whack camp rows of bathrooms containing each its full-length bath and besides that each girl has her own private wash-place in a cubicle for the purpose for as the chief controller said to me after all it does not matter the girls having to sleep together in dormitories if each has absolute privacy for washing that is so much more important to which it is quite possible to retort that there are those of us who would not mind bathing in front of the whole world if only we were allowed to sleep by ourselves but that is just a different point of view and as a matter of fact for the class from whom the greater part of the wax are drawn privacy in ablutions ranks as a greater thing than privacy in slumber so the psychological instinct which planned the camps is justified besides the bathrooms and the ablution cubicles there is in every camp one or more drawing-rooms which are always heated and where the wet clothes of the girls who of course have to be out in all weathers are hung to dry laundry kitchens recreation rooms mess rooms long nissen huts for sleeping i went the round of them all and while genuinely admiring them admired still more those who lived in them personally i don't like a nissen hut nearly as much as the ordinary straight-walled sort i know they are wonderfully easy to erect and to move but when it comes to trying to tack a picture on those curved walls and the girls depend so on their little bits of things such as pictures and photographs from home you will always see in every cubicle above every bed in a long hut the girl's own private gallery the lair and penet which make of her in her bed at least an individual in a nissen hut you have to turn your head upside down to get a view of the picture gallery at all though it has its advantages to the girl herself as she lies in bed and can look on the faces of her parents absolutely concave curving over her nose as i was leaving this camp i heard sounds of music and the stamping of feet and going to the y w c a hut the unit administrator and i looked in there to a vigorously pounded piano an instructress from the y m c a was teaching a dozen or so girls morris dancing they beamed at us from hot glowing faces these mighty daughters of the plough and continued to foot it as merrily if as heavily as any elizabethan villagers dancing in their sunday smocks around a maypole one more camp i saw on a later day and though it was a camp yet it had about it that which distinguished it from all others for it was built round about a hoary castle grey with years and lichen from whose walls they say anne boleyn looked down standing beside her robust and rufous lover on that honeymoon which was almost all of happiness she was to know now it is an army school and within its grey walls and towers the officers are billeted and in its great kitchens the wax cook for them and do all the rest of the domestic work waiting on the officers mess and the sergeants mess serving at the canteen doing all the cleaning everything that there is to be done for a whole army school of hungry men down on a five weeks course 
to say nothing of all the work for themselves in their camp at the castle's gates, and there are sixty-six of them, not counting the three officers who are at every WAC camp, the unit administrator, and the deputy and assistant administrators. It is hard work, and endless work, and though every WAC gives a few hours off every day, and though, as you have seen, everything is done for their healthy recreation that can be done, yet the life is one of work and not of fun. And though the girls flourish under it, we at home should not forget that fact when we give them their due meed of appreciation. But, hard as the life is, it seemed to me that at that camp, which has the happiness to be at this castle, its duress must be assuaged by the beauty of what is always before the eyes. Buried in woods it is, still bare when I saw them, but with the greenish-yellow buds of daffodils already beginning to unfold in great clumps through the purple-brown alleys, and with primroses making drifts of honey-pallor and honey-sweetness beside the slopes of ground-ivy, while from beyond the curving ramparts of the castle shows the steely-quiet glimmer of a lake. For war this castle was built, and war she now sees once again, for the arts of war are taught within her walls. And how Anne Boleyn's roving eyes would have brightened at the sight of so much youth, at the sound of so many spurs. Let us hope her sore spirit can still find pleasure in wandering again over the scenes where she once was happy, and if she has kept enough of innocent wantonness to love a straight man when she sees one, ghost though she be, and if her nose turn up ever so daintily at the clumsily clad members of her own sex, whose toils she would so little understand, why, she is but a ghost, and the modern mime must contrive to forgive her. These slight vignettes have all been of vision. Let me add one of a less pictorial nature. The unit administrators, as I have said, have to act not only as commanding officers, but very often as mother confessors as well. Parents write to them about their daughters, would-be suitors write to them for permission to marry their charges, and amongst the letter-bag are often epistles that are not without their unconscious humor. One day a mother writes to point out that she and the rest of the family are changing houses, and so may Flossie please come home for a few days. Another mentions that Gladys's letters of late have been despondent, and please could she be put to something else that will not depress her. Then Gladys is had up in front of the unit administrator, and perhaps turns out to be one of the born whiners found everywhere, perhaps to be merely suffering from a passing fit of what our ancestresses would have called the megrims. If her work is found to be really unfitted to her, and it is possible to give her a change, then it is done, but as a rule that is seldom the case, as, rather differently from what we used to hear was the way in the army, every whack controller finds out what the girl is best at, and what she likes doing most, and then, as far as possible, arranges her work accordingly. Perhaps a letter comes from a Tommy in His Majesty's forces, and begins something like this. Dear Madam, I beg to ask your permission to marry Miss D. Robinson, at present under your command. The unit administrator writes back that she will endeavor to arrange leave for the marriage, and perhaps all goes well, or perhaps some such lugubrious letter as this will follow. Dear Madam, re Miss D. Robinson, at present under your command, take no notice of my former letter, as Miss D. Robinson has broken off the engagement. Human nature will be inhuman, in camps and out of them, and because Miss D. Robinson is doing a man's work, is no reason why she should shed the privileges of her sex. End of chapter 8